So the reading is from Matthew 25, uh, starting at verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of it, for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And the second reading follows along. Verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once, and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, see? I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned... I'd have received it back with interest. So he, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to him. Give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I, in reading these parables, uh, a recent event came to mind, uh, and perhaps it's one you've had, and if not, I, uh, can I suggest that it's one that's coming your way, uh, and you probably don't want to know that, nevertheless. It turns out that I'm getting old. Now, when you fill out a form, uh, there's the 25 to 44 age bracket, 
oh, I've got one more year on that age bracket. And I thought I was doing pretty well, uh, but recently I went to the optometrist. Now, I do wear glasses, and I've worn glasses since I was 16. Uh, and when I first got my glasses, I'm short-sighted, it was an amazing experience because it turned out I'd needed glasses for, I don't know, five years probably, uh, but just persisted with squinting at the board, assuming uh, that everybody could see what I could see. Uh, but eventually, uh, at 16, uh, in year 11, uh, I realised that lots of people could see what was happening on the board at school and I couldn't, so I took myself off to the optometrist to find out if I needed glasses, and indeed I did. Now, they test you, of course, in the optometrist, and so you're looking at, you know, letters and saying those. But when your glasses come, the optometrist said, well, you know, these are so that you can see in the distance. Why don't you take them outside? And I was amazed because for the first time that I could remember, I could see the leaves on trees in the distance. And being a, a lover of art, visual arts, uh, I had always thought that trees were supposed to be the blurry green in paintings, that that was the background, you know. Uh, and so I was like, oh, oh, I can, that's a woman down there. It's not a vague figure uh, that I can't tell. Uh, but in fact, somebody uh, can work out who somebody is from quite a distance away. So it was amazing to me. And so you go to the optometrist every couple of years, and I went at the end of last year, and for the first time they said, well, really, you should be taking your glasses off now to read. And I said, well, what if I don't? And they said, well, it's going to start here, but then very slowly you're going to need to move this further away in order to be able to read it, or you could get bifocals. Well, I'm not ready for the bifocals yet, but if I do do a little bit of this, you'll know exactly what's going on. And the reason I tell this story is because I think that this uh, aligns perfectly with our two parables, uh, the idea of the distant vision, the long view, and the idea of what's close up to us, what's right in front of us, the short view. And so these two parables we have, the first, Jesus is returning, be ready, we don't know when he's returning, but be ready, that's our long view. And because of this, what we do with our time on earth matters, because we've been entrusted with much by a master that's returning and expecting us to do something with this thing that we've been entrusted with, and so what should we do in the here and now, our short view? Because of that, I've called this talk the long and the short of it. And why don't we open in prayer? Dear God, we thank you for your parables and for your words. We pray, God, that you give us wisdom in reading them and understanding your will for our lives through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a parable is a story to teach a moral or spiritual lesson, and Jesus used them all the time. And if you've been a Christian for even a little bit of time, then you would know uh, many parables. I'm sure the challenge with parables isn't sometimes to find the meaning, but in fact to find out where the meaning stops and where you've started to read too much meaning into them at all. And so I thought, well, we'll start by having a look at this uh, parable of the ten virgins. I chose not to teach the parable of the ten virgins to uh, the children this morning. Uh, we're just stuck with the second parable. But tonight we're going to start with the parable of the ten virgins, and uh, we're going to have a look at this long view that Jesus is returning. So it starts in chapter 25, verse 1. At the time 
the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. Well, first of all, we need to look at the context of this parable and what we've been looking at recently tells us as well that Jesus has been talking to his disciples at some length and this continues this uh, conversation that he's been having with them about his return and when he will set up his kingdom and his marriage to the bride when Jesus will come back. And so it starts with, at that time, at that time, the kingdom of heaven. And so what time is Jesus talking about? Well, this follows on immediately from the sign of the end times. Jesus has been telling them all of these things are going to happen. And they're saying, well, when? And he's saying, well, uh, the day or the hour is not known, but at that time, here's some things uh, that you need to know. And so he teaches them this parable. The time when Jesus returns is this time. Now, weddings are a frequent part of the Bible, especially the Gospels. We uh, hear about weddings all the time, but it's important to understand the marriage customs of the day were very different for what we're accustomed to in Western culture. And so the parable is actually a story about a typical wedding celebration in the Middle East. The bridegroom, along with his close friends, would make the trip to the bride's house where there would be festivities. That's step one in the marriage ceremony at that time. There's no uh, local function centre, you can't go to the church and then everyone jumps in their cars. We're all going to go to the bride's house, step one. And the bridesmaids might be a fair term for us to use in place of virgins, the ten bridesmaids, that might work for us, have a job to do. And so the bridegroom with his close friends are making the trip to the house and the procession would follow from that house to the new house where they're going to set up together as man and wife. That's the two parts. They're going to go to the bride's house, there's going to be some festivities, then they're going to go from there and they're going to go to their house where the couple would be like a king and queen, celebrate for a week their new uh, marriage and the new place they're living And so the bride's close friends were ten virgins, all the bridesmaids, whose job it was to light up the way and welcome this bridegroom and his close friends to the house. We read that five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them, in verse 3. Verse 4, the wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Now, I don't know about you, but immediately on reading this, I thought, well, that's not very fair because I turned up to my wedding on time and I can tell you that my wife-to-be was 15 minutes late. I'm told that's normal. You're supposed to be at least a little bit late if you're the bride. But here it is, the bridegroom. He's late, not even a little bit late. It's the middle of the night. It's midnight everybody's fallen asleep waiting for him and he comes out. Nevertheless, let's take it as uh, he had a a way to come. And so the bridesmaids are on. It's their part of the celebration. They need to go out and light up the way for the bridegroom with their lamps. They're the ancient times streetlights, if you like, and they welcome him in. That's their job. There's a calendar you can get. It's entitled, You Had One Job, or you might have seen it on the internet. You Had One Job. You find all manner of images in it where people have made terrible errors, misspelling words. Perhaps their job was to write the word stop on the ground and they've written sopped. They had one job and they've messed it up. 
their one job, in this case, was to light the way. And whatever the time that the bridegroom turned up, that's what they should have been doing. It's interesting that what they're doing while they're waiting doesn't seem to be the part that we need to focus on in this particular parable. We'll look at that in the next parable. In this parable, they fall asleep. What should they be doing? Well, they're asleep. So what's their only job? It's to light the way, to be ready to light the way. In verse 7 we read, Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. And this is where it gets tricky because I don't know about you, but what are we to make of this refusal of the five wise virgins to share some oil with the foolish ones? Does it strike you as odd? Is Jesus saying you shouldn't share? I guess we could make something of it. It's the dilemma of the parables. How much do we read into it? Could we say something like, well, you can't borrow the faith of others. You must have faith of your own. That certainly seems true. Then again, they go to buy some from the market, which would seem to stretch the analogy that you can buy faith at the market. And so it might be looking too deeply into the parable and attempting to make it an allegory, a story where all of the parts have meaning. And I'm reminded of an old children's song. With my best tenor voice. Give me oil for my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil for my lamp, I pray. Give me oil for my lamp, keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. It's a good one. It's a nice song. There isn't anything particularly wrong with it. It takes the idea of this oil and makes it represent something, doesn't it? Faith or maybe patience to wait on God. God, help me keep going strong in my faith. That seems like a good prayer. It's one I've prayed myself. And of course, waiting till the break of day uh, is probably like waiting for Jesus. Uh, that's problematic in the parable since the bridegroom comes in the middle of the night. And so maybe you can't actually read into parables like this. Maybe you have to be careful about what, what things mean when it comes to this parable. And so no, the message here is pretty simple. Be ready. To show the way to the place of the wedding, the bridesmaids or the virgins had to trim their lamps as soon as they heard the call that the bridegroom was near. To trim your lamp was pretty simple. You had to cut off a part of the wick and then you had to pull a little more wick out so it would burn more brightly and then you would pull some oil into the receptacle where you carried the oil in your lamp. And so the lamp is a bit like a magic genie lamp that you might rub, that you might have seen, where there's a spot for the oil and a spout and a wick uh, goes through the spout, connects to the oil, the oil runs up and you light the end of it. And so if you want it to burn brightly, well, you have to trim it, pull a little bit out, make sure you've got enough oil that you're not going to run out and off you go. These lamps that the ten virgins carried would have been of well-known construction, so this parable would have made perfect sense to everybody. If you're going to have light, you've got to have oil. If you run out of oil, you won't have any light. According to Jewish authorities as well, it was the custom of the East to carry a bridal procession 
uh, with about 10 people. That was the, the custom. That was normal too. And so these lamps that the virgins brought with them are their own lamps, and the emphasis on the parable is that particular tension and preparation should have been made by each of them for the bridegroom's coming. They're each responsible for their own lamp. They were to prepare to be lights in the night that preceded the arrival of the bridegroom, and furthermore, to be ready uh, to wait a while. The way Jesus worded the parable indicate he was prophesying that he was coming, but it would be a long time or some way off. For it tells us that the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Conveniently, right at the end, we learn essentially what Jesus means. Therefore, keep watching, verse 13, because you do not know the day or the hour. Be ready. That's the long view. And so we come to the short view, our second parable, the parable of the bags of gold. And if you have been a Christian for a while, then you have may, uh, you may have uh, read this parable, in fact, as the parable of the talents. And in the modern NIV version, the parable of the bags of gold is more commonly used now. A talent uh, has been replaced. A talent was amount of money in the time of Jesus. A talent uh, was a bit like a one-cent coin, if you like. Uh, it's a defunct type of weight of measure that we don't use anymore. I passed around some one-cent coins this morning to the kids. Uh, they oohed and aahed to see such ancient technology. Does anyone remember when we stopped using it? That was my question for the adults. 1992. 1992, which didn't feel that long ago. Uh, but for them, of course, that's a long time ago if you're a little kid. And so a talent was a weight of measure. So we've got this idea of the bags of gold. Well, we know that a talent was used in lots of regions at that time. And so depending on what region you were in depended on how much weight that exactly was. But it seems like it could be translated as about maybe 20 years laborers' wages as much as 20 kilograms of weighting coins. In other words, it's a lot of gold. It's a lot of coins. And so calling it the parable of the bags of gold probably helps us a lot, actually, because people don't get confused about the word talents and the things I'm good at, the idea of a talent, uh, and those things were, would often get confused. And so the things we can do versus this weight of coins was the problem that sometimes would be made. And it's actually useful to think of a bag of gold. In other words, these people were entrusted with some of their master's wealth, and it's a lot. Let's have a look at it. In verse 14 it says, Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. He gave five bags of gold to one, to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And so this money in the parable is not the same for each servant, but it doesn't belong to them anyway. At first I thought to myself, gee, this doesn't seem fair. One gets five and one gets two and one gets one. But they're servants and the one with one just got given a million dollars to look after. That seems like a pretty good deal. It's a lot of money, it's huge. It's an obscene amount of money for a servant who wouldn't have had any money. It's a real responsibility. And so I think the first short view we have to ask ourselves is, what have we been entrusted with in our lives to look after? 
we can look at the message of this parable to be about our role in this life while we await the Master's return. First of all, we're to be ready, but furthermore, we've been entrusted with much. It's not ours, it's on loan to look after and to do good things with. The things we've been given, entrusted with by God, require us to realise, I think, two things. Firstly, they're on loan for a time in the Master's absence, as I said. So, in verse 24, Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So it seems it's on loan for a time, but the master has some expectations about what we're to do with what we've been entrusted with. We're to do good things with it, we're to multiply it, we're to turn it into something. The parable of the bags of gold teaches us, us, teaches us, we are to work using what we've been given to glorify God and to multiply it to further God's kingdom. And so biblical success seems to be working in the here and now with what we've been entrusted with to produce a return. And so again, we ask ourselves what we've been entrusted with. You might think about it as money, and that could be reasonable. We all have material assets we're blessed with. We have knowledge, friendships, other things that we've been entrusted with. My second point, though, is that we've been entrusted by the Master based on our ability. God is the Master and owns it all, the world and everything in it. And so the first who receives five bags of gold, the next two and the next one, seem to have been given what they've been given based on the master's assessment of their ability. God expects each of us to use what we have been given, but only with our abilities. If someone has more or less, this isn't better or worse in the parable, it's how you use what you've been entrusted with that matters most in the end. And isn't that a good thing? Because our responsibility doesn't extend so far as to have to compare ourselves with others or to say, gee, I wonder how I'm going in the list of hierarchical achievement in the stewardship game. All I have to do is as much as I can to multiply what I've been given to the best of my ability, the ability that God has given me. So not everyone has the same amount, but the same action is expected, and that's the great thing. We can do the best we can with what we've been given, and I think we're all capable of this. And you are capable, because the Master has assigned it and said, here's what you get. And the Master has said, I know you. I know what your skills and abilities are. I know what's coming your way. You don't need to be afraid of using what you have and getting it wrong. You should use it to live for Jesus and you'll be on the right track. The final point today is that the Master is returning and will share in his happiness with his servants. And so where are we in the story? Where are we in the time? And where are the disciples? Because actually this is an interesting element to this parable. Jesus is talking to the disciples He hasn't gone yet. This is a parable about a master who does leave, 
but the master hasn't left yet, but he's going to. It's coming towards the end of Matthew, and we know what's coming. And where are we in the story? Well, the master has left, but is returning again soon. So the where is now, and the time is after the master has left and before he's returned, and we're waiting, and we're not sure how long off he is, but we need to be prepared. We've been entrusted with much. It's based on our ability, so we don't need to be fearful of making a mistake, but we do need to do all we can with what we've been entrusted with for Jesus. And when we do, we will share in his master's happiness. Let's have a look at it in verse 20. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, so I gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And two things strike me here, because the first one is, you've been faithful with a few things. It's just a few things. But we already know it's a great deal of wealth. It's a million dollars for the guy with one. It's five million dollars with the guy with five, and he turned it into ten million dollars. He's doing okay. But Jesus is here saying, it's not much. But thanks for doing it well. It's tiny in the mind of the master. You've been faithful with a few things is an amazing idea because it teaches us something about what we see every day, which is that it seems like a lot. The house seems like a lot. What we've been given seems like a lot. Sometimes we look around and there's great wealth. Perhaps sometimes we don't and we say, oh, there's not enough. And it is enough, but compared to what's coming, it's not very much. It's hardly anything. The parable teaches us that when the master returns, there'll be even greater riches, even more. When God returns, those faithful with the little they have, the little they know, the little they've done, but the most they could do will be given much more, much, much more. Because the master will take an account. And God wants us to use what he has given us well. He's pleased when we do. And God, in other words, is looking for good stewardship. The outcome for good stewardship is the same. The two servants get the share in their master's happiness, which is such a strange turn of phrase. Provided they do good stewardship, it's the quality of the stewardship, not the amount, quality of the stewardship, then we get to share in God's happiness. And it's a sharing, not an entrusting. When you're entrusted with something, you have to give it back at the end. But when something's shared with you, it's partly yours. This happiness, this vision of heaven, sharing with God, his happiness, shared with us. Perhaps that's our vision of heaven we need to stick with. And so we should maximise the use of our talents, the bags of gold we've been given, not for our own selfish purposes. We shouldn't hide it away and not use it, but we should use it to honour God. Because finally, at the end of the book of Matthew, the master Jesus does leave. But he leaves them with something. He leaves them with the Great Commission. In chapter 28, verse 16, we read, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit 
and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we've been given much, entrusted with much, based on our ability. And perhaps the most valuable of all is this message, the good news, the gospel of Christ. Because if you have the message of Jesus, even if you just heard it, just understood it, just picked it up, then you have a great wealth, something of great value. And the master will return and is looking forward to praising those who have been good stewards with this. To say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so here we are, servants, awaiting the return of our master, entrusted with the master's great wealth. And as we leave, perhaps we will think about this question. Are we investing in the best way we know how? Are we being good stewards with what we have? What have we been entrusted with? Because I guess that's the long and the short of it.